Hello. Hi, how are you doing? I'm so good. How are you guys doing? Yeah, yeah good. Not thank too bad, you. thank you. Thank you for giving us some of your time today. Thank you for wanting to see me. My yeah. God, what an interesting door behind you, a wall. Uh, yeah, essentially, I did have posters and then uh, they were getting a bit too pricey, so ordered a lot of photos instead and it was a lot cheaper. Nice, nice. <laughs> I like it. Basically, what we've been doing is we've been going through all of our favourite comedies of, of our lifetimes, really, and Billy Madison being one of the ones on the list, so few better people to speak to than uh, behind the camera. That's so fun. Well, thank you. I mean, I guess a, a good place to start would be um, how was it that you got involved with the project and became the director? I know. Um, it was interesting. I had directed a comedy for Universal called CB4, which with Chris Rock, who was also an SNL alumni. And that went really well. Um, it was a great experience. Universal was happy. And so when they got the rights to do Billy Madison, they wanted me to be the director. And so um, they flew me out to New York to meet with Adam. And he was on SNL at the time. And so we met and we got along. It was like a nice meeting. But then he said he wanted one of his best friends from school or something to direct the film. So then they went ahead and his friends started directing it. And then I think it was three days in on shooting it that Universal um, pulled the plug, which was really scary. So they, they didn't think he was funny. They didn't think it was working. Um, only three days, so it was so much pressure for Adam. And then I flew up, so they closed down the movie. And then I flew up on Thursday with the president of Universal. And then by Monday, I was the new director. It was very weird, yeah. but I had to like jump in like, a, yeah. and just, yeah. So it was kind of this strange situation. Yeah. It was like, it was Adam and I, it was, it was weird because I had just been on a film that I got fired from. So I was like, whoa, this is too weird in Hollywood that you go from one thing <laughs> to another. And so Adam and I were like in this survival mode that we both had to succeed. And so we just went like, how do we make you funny? How do we make this work? And yeah. we just ended up having the best time in the world and made it work. How, how did you feel when you kind of got the call to take over? Because I guess on, on the one side, you could be a bit put out that if they went with someone else first, but then you're also brought in to save the day. So I guess that's a great yeah. compliment as well. Yeah, I mean, I was in a weird place because I kind of felt like, Holly, like I'm a filmmaker, Hollywood can't tell me whether or not I can direct or whatever. I'm going to, I made like a short film called No Alternative Girls. But then I was like, when I got that call, I was like, oh my God, what, how weird. And yeah. um, maybe I'm supposed to be making this movie. And so I just, I don't know, it went from being like, you felt like terrible to like, you know, whatever, it's going to work out. But really, yeah. I had to be so super confident to come in and <laughs> act like I could save the day. That's like, it just, but that's part of like being a director, you kind of have to have this surreal sense of confidence that um, yeah. you can, everybody's going to listen to you or something. Yeah. I wonder as well, because I'm sure you get asked a lot what it was like um, the first time you met Adam. But I guess it was a lot different for you because as much as you'd had the success on there, Saturday Night Live it's not the Adam Sandler that we know even like five to ten years later where he's been in this film run so was it no, strange for you? I mean he was strange I feel like you know I loved Saturday Night Live and because I I knew Chris and Chris had left Saturday Night Live to start a career 
I kind of, and you know, that, that was kind of happening like Wayne's world and, and yet, um, what's his name from SNL? Who's the guy who runs the whole thing? Le, uh, Lauren Michaels. Lauren Michaels. He wouldn't, he didn't give Adam an offer. Like he didn't say here, Adam, here's a movie. So Adam had to like kind of go someplace else to get that, you know, that whatever that movie deal. And so it was a little bit renegade. We kind of felt like we were a little bit like, I think, I don't remember if Adam left Lauren, left SNL or he was still on it, but like, cause uh, Lauren was there doing Tommy Boy at the same time with Chris Farley and David Spade. So we were all staying in the same hotel. So um, I don't know, I feel like I related to Adam because at the time I was married to Mike D of the Beastie Boys. And, you know, I kind of felt like they, like I kind of knew who he was. He was a New York funny Jewish guy, you know? So I kind of like, we got each other really well, but also um, it also gave me an opportunity to kind of do what I did with Chris Rock where we had the freedom from Universal to just kind of make the movie that we wanted to make and kind of develop his him, him as an artist, but a solo artist because at SNL and even I think he'd made, he was like a, a part of a group in a movie. He had never done the one person thing. So I, I was really, it was kind of like trying to make him a star. So that was more what it was. Is, and I had to kind of really become his biggest fan. So I had to really get into his humor and kind of make make sure that I authentically thought he was hilarious. And because that relationship between him making me laugh, he had to also feel he was really deserving of those jokes and, you know, make getting that laugh. So it was really good. It, it was a good relationship. Well, I guess you, you see the script, you, you know, he's funny, but then on, on the paper, it must have been a lot different seeing like a hallucinatory penguin and seeing uh, the nanny as she was. So I didn't know if you had any reservations there because it's a lot different us seeing it on screen to reading that on paper, I would assume. Well, that was what was weird to see. I was walking into something that also was already like, everybody was already cast. The locations were already set, you know, and I had to just come in and figure out like, why wasn't it working and how to make it funny? Because even though they, everything was there, but if it's not working, I still had to do something different. So like, um, and I also was like, wait a minute, when I read the script about your two best friends and I met you with your best friends, which are all your same age group, I had no idea they're these old men. I was like, <laughs> yeah. I didn't get it. I was like, Adam, this is really weird. I totally didn't envision these two guys being like these, like, look like 40 or five. I was like, who are Norm MacDonald? And he's, and he's crazy, Norm MacDonald. He's crazy, like funny, but like kooky. Like, yeah. I, you know, he was like maybe homeless a few years before. I don't know who he was. He was such a strange character. And, but, and like, and then also the maid, like you read it in the script and you think like, oh, they've got the sexy maid there. And I was like, this is, so, but it was also part of who I was that in a way, like I knew enough to not be judgmental or come up with my own predispositions to be open. And, and I learned that also being married to a person who, you know, whatever, like I just try to put yourself aside and put the artist first and try to figure out who their audience is and be their audience. And even if you're not their audience, because you're a 30 year old woman, how do you become their audience and make sure that, yeah. you know, you don't hamper it based on my predispositions where I'd be like, oh my God, that seems embarrassing or no way. So, yeah. So I think that that was, yeah, I think 
it was always that, like keeping myself open and not yeah. judgmental and kind of like try to get that humor. Yeah. Yeah. But I had no idea what was going on. I was like, what the hell no. is this penguin? I was like, whatever. Like, like, okay. Like, try to support, enable, and make, you know, just push it. You know, make him feel that he's the funniest guy in the world. Yeah. You know, give him that confidence as well. Because the fact that, um, like, he co-wrote it, I wondered if that would have been awkward. Because perhaps if, if you saw it in a different way and trying to get that across, especially to someone who's, who's written, it's not like, you've got the screenplay or something and, and then you're adapting it and they aren't there. It's kind of his vision. So it must've been yeah, interesting to try and take it a different way. Well, he found, and it, I was familiar with that with Nelson George, who was the writer on with Chris Rock on CB4 that there, in, in movies, cause I'd done a couple, I'd done indie movies before, like one maybe, um, you're just the person, the writer's never even on set anymore on a feature, you know, but on, comedies the writers there because a comedy there it's still a very much of a relationship between the comedian and the comedy writer and my grandfather was a comedy writer so I really respect comedy and kind of grew up amongst comedians and I knew that relationship and so I that was like my my comfort blanket was sitting next to Tim Hurley because I would see that Tim could write the line and it wouldn't look that funny on paper, but then, and he, even him, Tim saying it wasn't funny, but when Adam would say it, it was hilarious. And so we would just spend every minute together and just, I was part of that circle of like, Tim knew how to write for Adam, Adam knew how to deliver the lines. And then also Adam knew how the other lines should sound because it's comedy and comedy is like music. And it's like a, there's a way to deliver a line. So Adam would like, whisper to me in the ear what the sound how the sound what it should sound like and with kids I could get them to say it exactly it's called parroting you say it and then they copy you but you can't do that to adults and so I but at least I knew what the tune was I knew like yeah. you have to say it like that and um yeah so it was it was amazing we had an amazing experience with that we spoke with um Tony Orlando when he was on that's my boy and he was saying that basically everyone on set except for Adam originally was thinking about the voice that he was doing on there and thinking, how are people going to take this? And then the studio even higher up. I wondered whether it took you any time to warm to the voice or if it was just straight in and you were all in with that. With his voice on Billy Madison? Yeah. yeah. I thought that was more his regular voice a little bit. I mean, he did funny voices, but he kind of yeah, was yeah. like that on SNL, like, the gibberish, I don't know if that was an SNL skit already, but you know, I knew he did Opera Man, so I knew he sang. So I think that was like part of, I knew that he had all these like strange little things that he did. But, yeah. um, and I, to me, it was kind of like, we had the script and we really, we got the script and then we would be like, I'd be like, okay, Adam, just give me something, you know, whatever, go for something. And, and in that, we kind of developed the style that, we knew we were safe, but then we could play. And things yeah. like that shampoo and conditioner that came out of that, where he just was trying to make Tim and I laugh, where, and Tim is really hard to get to laugh. And so Adam has to really work hard for, and you just realize that that's the joy of a comedian. If you can get the crew laughing, like that was the atmosphere I constantly yeah. tried to create for him. No stress, only laughter, only fun. You know, we would get high on the weekends and part, you know, we'd have fun and we would laugh and yeah. Chris Barley was there. We would just like 
we I knew what the humor was, and we were always just yeah. trying to get that level. Yeah, we we've been burnt by uh, kind of the trivia you see on IMDb before, and there's plenty for this film on there. And uh, I don't know how true they say about the uh, dodgeball scene in particular, where they say there's a conversation between you and Adam where he basically says like, it'll be a lot funnier if he can properly throw the balls at the kids. Yeah, I mean, that really happened um, because Adam and I had to like, I, I basically, you know, I had no prep. So I had to like just rush into the picture. And so every night before, um, after we'd wrap, Adam and I, even though we were in the same hotel, we would just talk on the phone and talk about the next day or what was funny, what, you know, what we did today and how we could improve tomorrow and stuff like that. And so, um, so he called me and he's like, hey, I just want to tell you tomorrow, um, I want you to have them deflate the balls a little bit because I'm really going to hit these kids tomorrow. <laughs> and I, th I was like, ha, ha ha, that's funny, Adam, like thinking he was just trying to, he'd always try to make me laugh. And I'd be like, that's really funny. Okay, I'll tell them. He's like, no, 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 I'm really, I'm serious. And he's like, let me just, he goes, this is a comedy rule, Tamara. Hurting kids in comedy is funny. That's like rule, you know, nine or something. He's like, it's really funny to hurt kids. And I was like, Adam, that doesn't sound very funny. I was like, I don't know about this. And he's like, no, no, you have to trust me on this. I'm really, he goes, I'm going to do it with all my force. So he goes, what I need you to do is also make sure the kids are like, ask them, make sure they're volunteering. Like, I don't want to hit any kids if they don't want to get hurt because they're going to get hurt. So make sure you get the parents approval and just make sure you have the kids volunteer for this because there's no, um, I'm really going to try to hit them. And um, so I was like, I, I, he was serious. And so the next day, like, he was like, yeah, yeah, I'm really going to hit them. I'm really going to hit them. Who, which kids are going to, which kids said yes. And like, I had to ask the class. So I think it was like third grade, which of you kids will be okay. And I had to get permission from the parents and the parents were watching. And it was a full on assault. Like really, <laughs> I was dying on the other side because you cut, right? You see it's everyone is cut right after because the kids just break out in tears. They fall onto the ground and they're dying. They're like bumbled over in, in tears. So you can see it like maybe if you go a frame, you can see that the kids really do get hit. And, um, and that obviously wasn't funny, but the force that he threw it at and the impact, that's funny, but no, not them falling on the ground afterwards. So that was cut. But, um, and there was like, I'm sure some like, I don't know, like a behind the scenes camera or some like entertainment tonight was there. I don't remember, but I remember there was like video cameras and the parents were watching and I was like, oh my God, Adam. But we did it and, you know, the kids were fine. And even some of the kids, like, even after getting hit and crying, wanted to do it again. And, you know, um, it was hilarious, but it really, it really did happen. And I was just dying on the other side. I, I didn't know if I could laugh because it was, like, painful. I was, like, literally watching the kids. Yeah. And, and that scene obviously birthed one of the lines, which I'm sure you've heard more than most in Odor Rules, which yes, I, I heard that before I'd seen the film. Really? Because that's weird. Somebody recently did an interview with me. Oh, for Vice magazine on the, the O'Doyle story. Like they, they've been interviewing all the O'Doyles. They wanted to know. I was like, oh my God, people are obsessed. There's the O'Doyles. <laughs> I think I heard it on the school playground and I didn't know what it was until years later when I saw the film. And you're like, what does that mean? Yeah. I didn't know what it meant either. But again, like I was like, read the script like 
really like a whole family goes over (laughs) (laughs) and so like I had to make it you know I had to be inspired by like Chevy Chase vacation and you know how they really did those weird things and I tried to make it look as and I and I like like how like really they're gonna slide on a banana peel which was (laughs) but I felt like that's what helped me make it so crazy was it had to be that like you know outrageous that they're going to sit on a a peel in their car that chris farley flew out you know whatever like and they go over the cliff in that funny stock footage photo so that that, you know i feel like it worked in that sense but oh my god when i read it on the script in the studio was so afraid they were like you're really nothing and we had to test it because i was like oh my god is this are they going to just think we're crazy that we're completely killing the whole family and you had this scene with um, the clown going over as well because everything's so light hearted and then you've got a I clown like, bleeding out. <laughs> the whole time I'd be like, really? Like, <laughs> but it, you know, it was honestly like that. It was the same thing when I did Half Baked. It would be like, I can't, you're going to, st- you know, there he's like, I'm going to walk into the room and I'm going to step on the dog. And I'm like, the dog is dead. He's like, it'll be so hilarious if I step on it. And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, oh my god every nerve in my muscle like don't step on the dead dog that's just horrible people are gonna but you have to like I don't want to say I encourage the crazy behavior but I didn't want to be the voice that discouraged it so I would let it happen and try to see if we got a laugh I'd rather try it and be like let's try it let's see if it's funny let's go for it like why not like I'm not going to be the person that says no let's let's encourage it and that's part of, you know, whatever. I think that boys like making girls laugh. And I feel like that was part of it as well. Trying to, can you, can you take it? Can you make it laugh? Can you make it laugh? I think um, that's that not wanting to hamper it is probably one of the beauties of comedy, right? Because it's easier to try it and take it out than six months down the line, be looking at it going, ah, do you know what? Maybe, maybe we should have put the scene with the dog in. So at least. And I've tried that so many times on set. Like I just realized it's so much easier to just get that take than stand yeah. on the sidelines and argue about it for 10 minutes and <laughs> I could have gotten it in the time. The same thing with editing, like let's just try it. If you don't like it, it's better to try it and then say no later or have that option than to just argue about it and waste time. You know, yeah. I'd rather like, let's try it like that. And I think like there's a there's a relaxed looseness in that as well and not, you yeah. know, if an actor wants to try it, you know, whatever. It's, it's yeah, easy. I imagine it, it probably helps if everyone knows there's a freedom to try something. I can't, I can only imagine it helps in yeah. everyone's performance and brings everyone to a level where if they want to do something, they know it's not a case of the next thing there is going to be a 10 minute screaming and shouting match about what exactly. you're doing. Oh, I'm going to decide on this. It's like somebody might come up to me and say, hey, I have an idea about something. Let me give it a try. And you're like, sure. As long as I have time, you know, you're always like racing for time, but yeah. You know, if you usually have enough time for another take, you know, it's not that critical usually. Um, on a feature, on TV, it's hard. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I mean, to me, it's part of getting, making sure you have what's scripted because that was what you loved when you read it and you make sure that's right. But giving the artists and the comedians a chance to just riff and have fun, you develop gold there that you'll always be like looking back for moments and stuff. It's definitely key. This film is also like a perfect example of something we always complain about and that's um, movie critics because as I'm sure you're aware afterwards, it's tough to, it's tough to find 
um, like a positive review for this film when it first happened. You know, but yeah. I've never spoke to anyone that disliked the film. You know what was so crazy? My first film was a film called Gun Crazy. It was with Drew Barrymore. It was Critics Darling. I was on Vincent Camby's top 10 list. I was on every film festival, on every panel. It was like, I was like, the whatever. I got in every newspaper. It was incredibly reviewed. Then I did CB4, which was like mixed, but still was okay. Cause you know, Nelson George was respected. But man, when I did Billy Madison, here's what happened was I knew enough from CB4 because um, to trust the audience, because at least with Universal, they do major test screenings. And I, I feel like when I make that movie, I'm not making that movie for the 40 year old film, you know, whatever president of Universal. Yeah. When I did Billy Madison and even Half Baked, I had different presidents already. And I remember for sure saying to the third president, um, I'm doing my third comedy here at Universal. You're my third president. Like I'm still here. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I know what I'm doing and I know my audience. And the only way I know my audience is because I test it. So when we tested Billy Madison, we, um, we were in theaters of 400 kids, you know, all over like the valley, you know, whatever. The audience loved it like Adam's audience he got every kid this audience thought this was the best film ever that's all I wanted because I that's yeah. I delivered to my audience that's mine the audience and then when it got so trashed it kind of made me made me mad but it also made me happy and I was like Adam if those fuckers like this movie we failed <laughs> because we're not making a movie for them we made a movie for our audience and if those people liked our movie we just failed I was like because that's not who I want to like this movie I want you know the 14 year old or the 16 year old or the whatever somebody who has who's your audience like not whatever those because I didn't go to film school I went to I went to film school I went to LA City College I refused to go to USC and UCLA because at the time there were all these like pretentious snobs there were all these dudes that thought they were going to be the next George Lucas or Spielberg and I was a girl and I didn't have that opportunity. Nobody was gonna look at me and go like, oh, we can't wait for this young, whatever girl to be. So I, it was like, I, re I, had, I started with rebellion, you know what I mean? Like I had, but when I, made, when I made my films in my little film school at whatever public college where I had regular people watching it, not a bunch of snobby dudes, um, they liked my movies and I was I was like oh I can make movies for an audience like I can make movies for a Mexican lady and two boys from you know whatever El Salvador and Muslim you know I make movies for everybody yeah. and that's what I liked about going to a community college I was like your audience isn't just you know film critics you know yeah. it's people and um nope. so, yeah and I was okay with that I don't mind bad reviews because I just feel no. like as long as I made the movie for the people, like, man, I went through hell on Crossroads, like Britney Spears movie. Yeah. And you know what? My scores on that movie were 98 with the female audience, 98. Yeah. Like Sherry Lansing, she wanted me to cut out the whole thing that she doesn't become a virgin, like she doesn't have sex. And I was like, 98, I scored a 98. <laughs> I don't have to cut anything. And, you know, but, 
the critics tore it apart because they were anti-Britney then. And now you see why, and you watch the Britney documentary and you see what happened and you see the fan base that are trying to, that can't, like that's, they love that movie. People still yeah. come up to me and they're like, that's my favorite movie. And you just, I don't make movie for those critics. Uh, yeah, it would kill me if I just made movies for yeah. critics. I did have just, just one question about um, working with Britney actually, because just looking at it, there couldn't really have been like a higher point for you to be working with her. I mean, her star power, when you think about like mega stars, mega that's star. like what she was at the time. And I just wondered what the experience was like working with someone like that. Well, it was crazy because it was true. Like I originally said, no, I'm not interested. But Anne Carley was the producer and, you know, she was like, you know, and she knew that they didn't want to, they didn't want to do to direct her because Britney was so powerful, but she was also vulnerable because she was a, you know, young girl. She was 18 or something. I don't know what age she was. She yeah. was young, maybe 19. She was super young. And so they were like, and they, I had enough of a reputation with music video, whatever. So they wanted somebody that could take care of her and not take advantage of her. And I was like, no, no, no. So I went and met her. At the, at, I was, they were like, will you meet her? She's going to be in Las Vegas. And I was like, fuck yeah, I'll go meet Britney Spears. Yeah. So I went to Las Vegas. I knocked on her door at like 10 o'clock in the morning. I'm like the biggest suite at like whatever MGM Grand. And this girl opens the door in a t-shirt and underwear Oh, oh my God, I was hammered last night. And I was like, oh, who are you? You're Britney Spears. And I like walked inside and I, I was like, you were, and I saw, I spent the whole day with her and I saw that she controlled everything. She acted like this sweet Southern girl. I saw her transform into Britney Spears because she had to appear that night. And I saw who she was as a regular Southern girl that was like a regular girl and she sat on, she was like, I want to do this. I'll do every rehearsal. I've wanted to do this. I wanted and reinvent myself. I want to be different. I want to work hard. I want to do this. And I was like, I believed her. I believed in her commitment. I believed in her commitment to do rehearsals. I believed in her commitment to try to um, reinvent herself and come up with this idea and take control of the narrative of who she is. And I was like, okay, I, I, I agree. I, I trust you. I believe in you. I, I want to do this movie with you. And she was amazing. Like she, she was like, and it was hard because I had to make, I had to put the girl that I knew onto the screen because she doesn't know how to act. So I had to try to get her. And so when you see her in the bedroom talking to her dad or in the car, that's her. That's not, she's not really acting because she's not really a good actress and you can see when she's acting. But when you see just this regular girl, that's her, you know, and that yeah. was the only thing I could do. And we surrounded her with amazing actors, Taryn Manning and Zoe Saldano and Anson Mount are fantastic actors. Um, you know, no, whatever, Shonda Rhimes wrote the script, you know, and so Shonda was there with me every day on set. Um, so we had all women behind the camera supporting her. Um, it was amazing. And we made, you know, we made the movie that we wanted to make. And yeah. I felt really, she lived in a, we, you know, when you make a feature, you live in a little cocoon paradise with the people that you work with. And it's the most amazing experience. And I think, I mean, it's like interesting because I'm talking to the people around Brittany right now again. And when she thinks about her life, that was one of the happiest moments of her life. I mean, it makes me cry, like to see where yeah. she is right now. But that's like, 
she like loved that moment in her life. Like that yeah. was where she was an artist doing the thing that she loved and surrounded by people that were her peers. And she could be just one of a group and she wasn't yeah. Lee Spears in those days, you know? And we'd have to like, you know, we had to hide a bit. Like sometimes we would drive or when we were doing like convertible shots, it was like, if anybody found out it was her, it was like chaos. Yeah. Um, so we'd always like try to hide from that. But um, it was just, it was like we were in a little, our own little world and it was amazing. I yeah. spent like a year with her and it was like an amazing experience. And then I saw it all fall apart and it just was devastating. Yeah, it's funny what you said about you kind of being trusted with that role because there, there's a quote I saw and it's from Drew Barrymore. And she says that there's few greater experiences that you can have in the industry you're in than being directed by yourself, so. Yeah. Oh, that's so sweet. I mean, yeah. like, I just spoke with Drew recently. Like, we're lifelong friends. Like, she's just, yeah. Like, we're, you have an intimate relationship with somebody at that time where it's built on trust and um, confidence. And I just first, and especially my experience with Drew, like, it became, you know, we got really close. And for her to tell me things like she tried to kill herself when she was a little girl and all these things, like, I felt like, oh my God, it's, so I became very, like, I want to make sure I protect kids in that, you know, I work with a lot of young people. So I become very protective in that sense. And even right now, I just finished watching um, act, like Kid Actor or something, that new Alex Winter documentary that's like devastating about all the child actors. And, um, and I'm about to do a Netflix musical right now, a feature, my first feature back. So I'm super excited. And it's a huge Netflix musical. It's called 13, the musical. It's a, it was a play. It's not based on the movie 13. It's based on the original play, which was on Broadway. And it's got Ariana Grande, got her start from it. And um, it stars 13, 13 year olds. And I really just now went through all of the world and mostly America and Canada, whatever, and hired 13 of the most talented kids you could ever imagine. They're singers and dancers doing this musical. And man, I want to protect these kids. I want to give them an amazing experience. I want them to have fun. Yeah, because, yeah. you know, and I feel like even like with that, Adam had a great experience that first time, which gave him the confidence to be the person that he was as he continued. And like, he wanted me to do Happy Madison or what's it called? Um, Gilmore, Gilmore. Happy Gilmore. Yeah. He wanted me to do Happy Gilmore. I was like, Adam, I just did this. We just made this movie. I'm not going to make this movie. <laughs> <laughs> and so... We never, we ended up, and then I went like a different way with my stuff and we never worked again, but it was like, I, you have to give the artist or to give that person the confidence of what they're capable of. That's like the greatest gift, you know, to start yeah. them on their, comp, you know, to a path of who, what their voice is, is yeah. huge to me. Another kind of uh, big name you've got in uh, Billy Madison is uh, Steve Buscemi. And I wonder what he was like to work with because seeing him I mean if you explain to someone who hasn't seen it before and they showed him a picture of him with his lipstick on and all sorts I wonder what that was like you know he's funny because you know he was such an weird character and again I was like I knew Steve Buscemi a little bit because he's a New York person and in this weird way his his son he's related somehow to my husband like they have the same godmother so we have like a little weird past it was hilarious and that was like the craziest scene and I was like I had no idea what was going on I was like it just was funny I was like I'm pushing in I'm gonna push in and I push in on the list and they came up with that weird lipstick thing 
It was just so funny. And again, and I, you know, it's, I just worked with him again this last year. I did um, Miracle Workers and um, Steve Buscemi's in it with Daniel Radcliffe. And so I got, I shot the final two episodes of the last season and we had the best time. And, you know, that's the thing is once you have a connection and you work with people, it's this, whatever it's, you still, if you're still working, you're still seeing people. So it's, yeah. it's amazing. Yeah. We, we work together. Yeah. Same with Drew. I got to work with her again and yeah, you never know. Yeah. yeah. You, you said funny. about, um, I was just going to say this morning, yeah. my kid is a musician and he's writing a song and he wrote a song about like, don't grow up. It's a trap. And I was like, he was like, I was, and I was like, where'd you hear that from? Is it from a movie? And I was thinking maybe it's from my Billy Madison. He's like, no, mom, you sent me it on a picture. And then I looked up and it was like a Banksy thing I sent him. And I was like, oh, it's a Banksy thing. And then we realized it's originally Peter Pan. And then I showed him the clip of Billy Madison where he does that thing to the kid. We just <laughs> yeah. did it this morning. I forgot. It was, my kids looked at me. I was like, oh my God, I don't think I could ever do that. What did you do to that kid? We were like, was so funny but i was like we were belligerent i can't believe what we did what we thought of <laughs> i was i was gonna say you said about happy gilmore and the kind of the similarities there it, it's crazy I, I don't know if it was ever kind of approached a sequel to billy madison because you kind of see nowadays any kind of success with a film and the sequel is almost greenlit like immediately yeah. and i wondered if that was ever approached or anything like that or a sequel to Billy Madison. Yeah. Yeah, like he, I don't know. It would be hilarious. Again, I just worked with Brad, Bradley, Whit, Brad Whitford. Yeah, I worked with him recently again, and I hadn't seen him since Billy Madison. And you just, yeah, we, everybody always talks about that. I mean, you know, is there a sequel to any of these things? Who knows? But um, yeah, Adam is just the best. He, we still stay in contact. It's funny, he and my husband, like they were in contact over the whole pandemic and so crazy. But um, yeah, you never know. And I feel like that was what the sequel kind of was, was how they went right into um, Happy Gilmore, was he didn't want to do Billy Madison. It was weird. We were into golf. We would like go golfing on the weekends. And so somehow he was like, um, I made it about golf. Are you, you know, that I thought you'd want to do it. And I'd be like, no, like... <laughs> I was like we just did it Adam yeah that was crazy but he was he was the best and that whole crew was so funny he surrounded himself with this group of really crazy funny guys yeah it was awesome yeah well thank you for giving us so much of, of your time today we really appreciate it of course and, uh, I will talk to you soon yeah thank you thanks uh, so much enjoy the rest of your day you Take too care. bye you guys thanks, thank you bye, bye. Thank you. bye.